electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Carl Quintanilla. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Thursday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Ford and Deirdre Bosa. Today, John is live on the scene from Qualcomm's Automotive Investor Day, talking to the man himself, CEO Cristiano Amon, about the business, the outlook, and a whole lot more this hour. We'll get some more on the Fed impact as growth investors face more tightening. One guest argues the tech here is facing a critical juncture. And then finally, a bailout or a golden opportunity? Crypto exchange FTX looking to raise another billion dollars after a big spending spree this summer. We will discuss, Dee. Um, guys, we got to kick off today's feed with the Fed's impact on stocks, particularly tech, of course, after raising interest rates 75 basis points. Chair Jerome Powell saying prospects of that soft landing promised earlier this year are disappearing in fast. Tech investors already facing a bear market. The Nasdaq within points of its June low. Stocks like Amazon closed down 3% yesterday. It's off about another percent today. The 10-year is at 3.7. The two-year yield at 4.14. The Nasdaq is falling another percent and a half today, guys. One stock that I was looking at this morning, that's Microsoft, guys. We know the headwinds that Alphabet, Meta are facing. Microsoft has been a different story. It's been more resilient. But that stock, John, is down 17% over the last month. We've seen estimates get trimmed by the street over the last week or so. B of A writes in a note this morning, the bear market eventually comes for everyone. Um, John, what do you think? Could this perhaps be a signal that the next shoe drop, we've talked about this so much, enterprise tech spending could be getting closer just a few weeks away from the start of a new earnings season. Yeah, and just a few days away from the start of Q4 as well. You know, I know we're supposed to think about, talk about stocks all the time, continue to do that, but I'm also thinking more and more about businesses, about uh, to what extent are these companies able to grow their total addressable market, which is part of what Qualcomm might be talking about here today uh, with automotive, which has been a fast-growing area for them. And to what extent are they going to be able to charge more for the innovation that they deliver? Stocks are going to do what they're going to do. I think you got a question. Uh, were these stocks where you know, individual companies fairly valued to begin with? So you know, if you're going to get worried about whether it's going lower, well, is that a buying opportunity? That depends on how well the business is doing, Carl, and what kind of a competitive advantage various companies, in this case, sitting right here, semiconductor companies have in trying to determine the future. Stocks will do what they will, but if you can win with your business, that's going to matter eventually. Fundamentals. Yep. Uh, that's why we talk so much about uh, the multiples. We've, we've chopped some wood on the multiple, John, but the question now is going to be about the actual E and the earnings and the forward operating margin, and that's a story that's going to be revealed in time. Our next guest does warn that the Fed's moves could be putting some uh, tech in some jeopardy here, noting that only 12% of names uh, in the NASDAQ 100 are still trading above the 50-day. Joining us this morning, Northman Trader founder Sven Henrik. Sven, great to have you back. You really you are paying a lot of attention to the NDX, right? 
we'll get to Sven in a moment. Uh, Johnny's going to bring some charts, basically looking at uh, those components above uh, the 50-day, basically now down to where it was in June, which is uh, sort of coincidentally uh, the source of a lot of pain. You remember the, the June lows. Sven, I think we do have you now, right? I hope so. <laughs> so, so you've been paying attention to the NASDAQ 100? Uh, absolutely. It's one of the key index, indexes to watch. It's also the most sensitive to rising yields. And what's happening on yield on the yield front is absolutely critical here, as we're seeing the two-year going to the levels that are not seen since 2007. And the 10-year, of course, massively extended as well. That was the setup we had in June, right? We had the 10-year 3.5% and markets carpet bombing, basically. And that's what we're seeing now. In terms of components above the 50 MA, it's actually sunk to 7 today, which was the same read we had in June as well. So the, the, the NASDAQ is indeed at a critical spot. Like in June, when I talked about the weekly 200 MAs being a risk factor, that's a risk factor now too. That's another, you know, three, five percent lower. But at the same time, the entire market is now pivoting off yields and the dollar. And you saw the BOJ intervention overnight. So the, there is a critical point approaching. If you see any of these charts reverse on the yields and the dollar front, the market paradigm could shift dramatically. But as long as they don't, you have risk lower. That's that's the challenge for everyone right now. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, you're focusing on on the Nasdaq in particular, but even within there, software, too, right? Oh, absolutely. And, and, you know, if you look at software, it's actually close to the June low. So, so, again, they also have to hold support. I will have a silver lining for everyone, though. Any of these lows, if they come, okay, and we, we can't be sure of this yet because, ironically, markets are still holding above the June lows despite deals and dollars having risen to new 22 highs. If we do get new lows, they set up technically for larger weekly positive divergences. So, to me, the overall market is still setting up for a buy contingent on yields and dollar reversing. Hey, Sven, it's Deirdre. Good morning. Um, you tweeted this morning a few hours ago that the currency wars have began. That was after, of course, Japan intervened in their own currency market. How does that play out back here? How does that change the charts for you? Perhaps bears on notice. Look, the, the, the strong dollars is causing absolute havoc in the G7 economies. They're all struggling. You know, the U.S. pound at 37, the, U, uh, the U.K. pound at 37-year lows, the euro below parity. That's kind of importing inflation for a lot of these economies. So they all have a vested interest for that trend not to continue as they're all heading into recession. And I think the BOJ kind of put out a line in the sand today indicating, you know, no more, whether they're going to be successful or not is unclear at this point. I think what really needs to happen now that the Fed has become so aggressive is does the ECP really step up on their rate hiking game? Because it all is a game of relativity as well, right? So if the ECB gets yeah. more aggressive and the Fed may be actually slowing down, then that could put pressure on the dollar as well. So absolutely key to watch. In terms of company earnings, we've certainly seen the effect of the strong dollar on companies like Microsoft and Salesforce. But there's this thinking among the investment community um, to maybe, you know, that this is only temporary or look beyond the strong dollar on those earnings. What do you think? Is that properly priced into the markets for some of these large cap companies? Well, if you look at the economy going into recession, which I think it will if the Fed continues on this extreme tightening path. Remember, they're, they're still completely behind on the growth curve. They've underestimated the slowdown in GDP. And yesterday's rate hike 
uh, 75 basis points is overtly, I think, risking a larger recession, especially if you go to a uh, terminal rate of 1.5% or, or above. So as long as the Fed remains on that path, I think all these ease are, are going to be questionable. I will offer a silver lining on this entire Fed move here with yields rising and dollar rising and the expectations being so tight. And that is there may be a subtle Fed put placed now under the market because with expectations this high, if you get any positive news on inflation rolling over, then these expectations are going to come down as well. And before you know it, then this E that maybe everybody's concerned about may have already been priced in. We will only know after the fact, but October is going to be key in terms of data. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, Sven, I'm wondering how are the charts different? To what extent are they different this time versus where we were in June? I'm looking at some individual names like Roblox, um, like Coinbase, like Atlassian that, you know, might be seen as a little bit riskier. And they're still significantly above where they were at those lows for the year. And yet, you know, overall on the NASDAQ, particularly today, it's performing worse than the other indices. Uh, we appear to be heading back perhaps closer to those low levels. So is the, is the character different of, of what's suffering more? Yeah, I mean, you look at stock like Apple, for example, it's performed tremendously well. And you can, you can make the case that that actually is a bit deceiving in terms of the index. If, the, if, if Apple was down 25, 30% like some of the other big caps tech stocks, and NASDAQ itself may already be back at the June low. So this is a relativity game going on as well. But I do obviously look at the divergences. I look at the underlying signals. And they're all very oversold here. Remember, NASDAQ is down 16% from the bear market rally high we had in July. And there's also an aspect of seasonality, midterms. I don't want to discount that. So everything we're seeing in this context is actually fairly consistent. So I think the, the real test for this will be end of September early October and see if markets can uh, actually follow that script as well. Remember, Nasdaq's down almost 30% on the year. So we're, we're seeing significant discounting in the valuations. Now, the problem with all this is still, and I go back to yields, if they stay on this path, on this velocity, in this direction, it's going to get very ugly in, in, in general. And uh, hence, the reversal is absolutely key if you, if you want to think about the soft landing. Yeah, that's why it's going to be so interesting to see how much they jawbone uh, the bond market, which isn't quite keeping pace uh, with what, with some of what we heard from them yesterday. Uh, Sven, it's going to get really interesting beyond seasonality. Good to see you. Thanks, Sven Henrik. Thanks, Carl. Take care. Uh, meanwhile, we've talked about this. The software sector, sector is down 40% since its peak, and it has been hit hard recently. Longtime analyst Sterling Audi initiating coverage today on 25 of those stocks, focusing on names that he believes will come out ahead on the other side of the down market, outperform on CrowdStrike, Datadog, Intuit, and Snowflake. Let's bring him in. Moffat Nathanson's Sterling Audi, the top-rated software analyst in 2021 by Institutional Investor. Sterling, good morning to you. It's great to have you. Um, so there's a question. What will come out on the other side, but when are we going to see that other side? Where are you on tech valuations at the moment with the NASDAQ 100 earnings multiple below its 10-year average? Yes, it's looking cheaper. Is it cheap? <laughs> yeah, I think relative to the fundamentals, at least in software, it is. So we look at valuation across the last 22 years. So we start January 1st of 2000 all the way through to today. And really where software sits is just above that 22-year average. 
But the fundamentals in software are a lot better than they were in 2005, 2007. I mean, you have free cash flow margins that are 700 basis points higher today than what they were. Business models have a lot more visibility, a lot more stability than what we've seen in the past. And you're talking about an industry that over the last 10 years has shown the best growth across the economy four times. And we still think it's going to be a top five grower moving forward. So coming out the other side, yeah, we think the valuations are cheap. You don't have to buy everything today, but we think it's time to start averaging back into software. Okay, and Sterling, um, I want to get to some of your the names that you initiated coverage on Microsoft. It's one that we spoke about at the beginning of the show, down 17% over the last month. Are there cracks in this story? You rated it market perform. You had to take into account Forex, the macro, PC market. Where are you on this name? And what does that tell us about the broader market? Yeah, there's a lot of moving parts when it comes to Microsoft, and there's a lot of good. You know, you pointed to a couple of them, but the shift to the cloud and what they've done with Azure, what they're doing actually in cybersecurity, I think, is underrepresented in a lot of people's views, and also what they're, the moves that they're making on the gaming front. So we think they're very well positioned to continue to, to drive, for them at this scale, attractive growth and really good margins. And it's one of those stocks that ends up being a core part of a portfolio, a bit of a steady compounder, if you will, you know, over, over the long term. But we do think there are others that you can generate better performance and better alpha over the next 12 months. Sterling, I want to ask you about Adobe, not one of your favorites here, but one that I know that you have covered for a long time, and this move to buy Figma. We'll see if that goes through, but a lot of people hate this stock right now uh, because of that move and aren't buying the strategic rationale, have questions about whether regulators um, end up allowing this to go through. But what's your thought on whether if it does go through and based on Shantanu Narayan's track record at Adobe, this is actually a smart purchase or no? Yeah, strategically, I think it's a very good move, very tough for the stock near term. People didn't really understand and appreciate the acquisition of Omniture when that happened years ago, and even further back when they acquired Macromedia. But this is a defining moment in time for Adobe. When you look at what Figma actually brings to the table in terms of the collaboration, the user interface design, bringing designers and developers together, and offering the opportunity for Adobe to actually bring Creative Cloud truly into the cloud. Because a lot of what happens with Photoshop is still done on device. I think this is a very positive strategic acquisition for the long term. But yes, given the multiple that they paid, they're going to have to digest it. And we know that they know how to execute from an operational stand, uh, standpoint. So I do think when we look back five, six, seven years from now, we're going to say that it's a smart acquisition, but at the time, very difficult. Okay, so conceptually, what does this signal about what software companies need to do during this, what looks like a difficult period that we're heading into? Um, what do they need to invest in? What can they afford to pull back on, uh, even if it looks painful for investors in the near term? Yeah, this is where you're going to see the strong get stronger or kind of a separation across the competition. The companies that are profitable, well-funded, they're going to be able to continue to invest both in their go-to-market sales force, but also developers. We also have had a pause in the IPO market, which means that the attractiveness of developers and salespeople leaving to go to that next startup has actually waned. And that's actually very beneficial for some of these companies. And I think you had a guest on earlier this morning saying exactly the same thing. So we want to see that investment in the organic side. 
tactical strategic acquisitions do make sense, but with rising interest rates, you know, the valuations and the financial, let's say, reasons maybe are a little bit tougher. Hey, Sterling, finally, I wonder how you're processing you know, it. The sector's been beat up so badly, uh, but this week we did get some pretty decent long-range targets out of Salesforce and even Accenture uh, last night. Um, bookings up 31. I mean, FX is obviously a problem for everybody, but there was a sense that you know maybe the, the gloom is being leavened a little bit. Well, also, especially for the sector, take a step back and remember the idea of digital transformations. How do you automate more parts of your business, especially we still have tight labor markets. One of the things that we still hear from many companies is the difficulty finding the right people to fill the slots that they do have. So automation actually bridges that gap. So it allows companies to become more efficient, more productive. So we still think they're going to get a disproportionate level of investment moving forward. That's again why we have this view that we think software is going to be one of the top growing industries hmm. through this macro you know, headwinds that we have currently. It's not easy. We know that. That's why, again, it's going to take a couple of months or a couple of quarters for everything to sort out. But we need to be ahead of that curve. Well, Sterling, we appreciate your insights. Thanks for being with us. Sterling Audi, now Moffat Nathanson. John. Cost cutting continues, at least when it comes to big tech. We're going to have more on new measures at Meta and Alphabet after the break. Tech Chat is just getting started. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Let's get a gut check on Block. The stock is in the red today after Mizuho took it down to neutral, slashing the price target to 57 bucks a share. While they believe Block has enormous potential, they say, they say it's not being realized. User fatigue, plateauing inflows, and mis-execution of buy now, pay later, just some of the factors blocking growth. Mizuho also saying projects like Bitcoin are preoccupying management's attention. That stock is now down nearly 80% off the highs, Carl. 
Wow, amazing. Uh, meantime, Meta's back in the headlines today amid news of layoffs, cost cuts, and now a senior executive speaking out against Apple. Our Julia Borston has the latest on that. Hi, JB. Hi, Carl. Well, Meta shares falling today to their lowest level since March of 2020 on the heels of more reports on the company's plans to cut costs by at least 10 percent. The Wall Street Journal reporting that Meta has been pushing out staffers by reorganizing departments and that deeper cuts are coming. Bernstein writing this morning, quote, the reality is that the company has a lot of room to preserve earnings power via sizable operating expense cuts. This after Mark Zuckerberg said in Meta's last earnings call, quote, our plan is to steadily reduce headcount growth over the next year. Many teams are going to shrink so we can shift energy to other areas. He goes on to say, I expect us to get more done with fewer resources. Meanwhile, Meta's president of global affairs, Nick Clegg, has been speaking out in defense of Meta and also attacking Apple for its limits to Meta's ability to target ads and measure their impact. He said at an event for Semaphore this morning, quote, Apple under the survey of privacy is trying to kneecap its competitors. Apple responding, quote, we have given users the choice of whether or not they want to allow apps to track them across apps and websites owned by other companies, saying these rules apply equally to all developers, including Apple. And we've received strong support from yet regulators and privacy advocates for this new feature. Now, another big headline out of Clegg this morning. He says former President Trump could be allowed back on Facebook once the suspension of his account expires in January. Guys. Uh, yeah, a little bit more on that last point, uh, Julia. Obviously, uh, got a lot of attention on social today. Is that a decision that management will work through, or will this be handed to some third-party uh, board? I think this is something that Nick Clegg and Mark Zuckerberg are going to be focused on. And I think especially looking at Clegg's comments today, this is something that he is going to want to want to take ownership of in a lot of ways. Obviously, they'll work with the Facebook oversight board, but the board recommended and they implemented this suspension for a certain period of time. So once the suspension is up, the question is whether a former President Trump's pl uh, presence on the platform could incite violence. That's something they're going to be very focused on. Will his presence, will his comments have a real-world impact that could be dangerous or negative? Yeah, key question. Uh, Julia Borson, thanks so much for that. Qualcomm's Cristiano Amon is up next, so don't go away. We are back in just a moment. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Ooh. Summarize with AI in a click. Click, click, click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome back. I'm Seema Modi. Here's what's happening at this hour. Walmart and CVS Pharmacy are reaching an opioid settlement with West Virginia worth a combined total of $147 million. The lawsuit is centered on the company's roles in contributing to the oversupply of prescription drugs in the country's most impacted state. Royal Caribbean is the latest cruise operator to signal strong demand for trips after easing COVID vaccination protocols. The company says bookings are significantly above pre-pandemic levels. Shares of Royal Caribbean up about 14% in the past month. 
The average cost of gas in the U.S. inching a penny higher on Wednesday, this ending a 99 consecutive day streak of declining prices, that according to AAA. The average for a gas, uh, gallon of gas right now sits at $3.68. TikTok will require the accounts of politicians and political parties to be verified ahead of the November midterm elections. The video hosting service says the action is aimed at keeping harmful misinformation off the platform. The move will also make it more difficult for those accounts to use the advertising and fundraising systems. John, back to you. Seema, thank you. Turning now to Qualcomm, kicking off an investor day focused on the automotive market here at the Manhattan Classic Car Club. Let's take a deeper dive and a first-on interview with Qualcomm CEO Cristiano Amon. Cristiano, welcome and thanks for having me here on the uh, on the East Coast. Oh, very happy you're you're here with us. This is great and. Uh... Great opportunity to talk to you about automotive. I want to talk about automotive, but I want to start broad because, you know, the markets are reacting this morning to the Fed's interest rate hike yesterday. Concerns about what that does to growth. And today you're going to be talking about growth. So what's the impact, even in the automotive market, of uh, interest rates going higher and perhaps global growth slowing down? Look, let's just get break that down. We are seeing a lot of uncertainty out there. I think we... We mentioned that during the last earnings call. We're tracking the data, probably the same data you're tracking. And we'll, you know, we'll see what happens within the short term. Now, the important thing about uh, the Qualcomm story, Qualcomm's really a long-term story. And uh, automotive is a great example of that. The fundamentals of our transformation are now in place. And I cannot think of something better than automotive to talk about the diversification of the company. Specifically on the short term on auto, we have seen that there's still some pent up demand for automotive because of the, as the, they're starting to recover from the supply chain uh, constraints. Uh, but the story for Qualcomm is really about the future semiconductor business in the automotive industry. And I think it was something like 38% growth in automotive that you reported last quarter. It's been part of the overall growth story and sort of newer categories that are growing. Kind of traditionally at these investor days, you've updated total addressable market, maybe what's happening in the platform. Is this a significant event that you're, you're having here today? We're expecting news later on today. That's a significant event. And I, I want to, to think about this event uh, it's probably like Qualcomm graduation in the automotive space is becoming a, one of the largest suppliers of technology for the automotive industry. It's a dedicated event for auto. I think we have been saying that Qualcomm is changing from being a mobile communications company to connected computer company for the edge, and the automotive is just front and center of that. And uh, yes, you should expect that we're going to make an update uh, into our design wing pipeline. Last earnings call, we updated that to about $19 billion. We're going to provide further updates today. And if anything, it's probably a reflection. What you're going to see in the event today is a reflection that the automotive industry is really embracing Qualcomm solutions. I think that's an important kind of contrast. What's happening in the stock market, and we started the show talking about the difference between what's happening with businesses and what's happening with stocks. Sometimes there's that disconnect in the short term, but in the long term, it's important. So um, to what degree are you seeing car companies eager to invest in future platforms even during this time period? Is there a pullback uh, you know, on deals closing, things like that? Or is it far enough out that they're saying, no, we've got to do this? It's, abs it's absolute all systems go 
it's not, it's not related to what we're seeing in the short term. Yes, they're uncertain in the short term. But like Qualcomm, which is really a long-term story, the automotive companies know that they have to become a technology company. The car is going to be a connected computer on wheels. And, and companies know that digital choices, which has actually been made at CEO level, is so important for the future, they need to move fast to this new automotive industry, and that's why partnerships with companies like Qualcomm becomes very important. Let me get off of autos for just a moment and talk about industrials, because the way you guys look at uh, the segments you report, it's kind of adjacent. Um, I'd be concerned looking at uh, industrial technology, the capital outlay that's necessary for that in the near term over the next few quarters. Does that slow down as companies that might have been looking to transform the way they do manufacturing or even the way they communicate on a factory floor? They've got to reconsider whether they can afford to do that or no. You know, this, uh, this is a great topic conversation, especially now with the economic uncertainty. Some of the things we're doing in the industrial IoT, and we've been talking about how our IoT business has been growing, and really the transformation at the edge, all of the companies, uh, was uh, they first connected all the people, now they want to connect their assets, they bring intelligence. Digital transformation of enterprises, they do it for growth, they do it for cost and efficiency. So somewhat insulated of what you see, the fluctuation of the short term, and it's really a future story of digital transformation of enterprises. I want to talk about smartphones for a moment because you guys still are the major player there. We'll get back to cars. But uh, we've seen in the early data coming out of Apple, it looks like the high-end demand for the 14 Pro and Pro Max is particularly strong. Now, if that is a, a signal of what's happening in the industry overall, seems to me that's good for Qualcomm because Snapdragon plays at the high end. Is that your sense of what's happening here, that that high end consumer is still eager for the sorts of features that you're able to deliver? Look, it's a, it's a great observation and uh, it's very consistent to what we have been saying. We have seen over the past number of years that the mix of phones are improving. You know, when you, when you bought your very first smartphone, that was an incredible value proposition for a feature phone, but now as a mature smartphone user, you know what you want, or what are a camera, it's gaming, it's computing, and I think that's driving a much richer mix. And we have seen, even in the time of uncertainty right now, we have seen that the, the premium tier and the high tier has been more resilient than what you see, for example, in the mass tier. And I think that's consistent with the trend that technology matter in the, in the smartphone business. And I point to our announcement of a long-term partnership with Samsung to power all their galaxies globally as the, the Qualcomm strategy for premium and high tier is working. Okay, back to cars. Uh, premium and high tier, is that where we're going to see the transformation driven by Snapdragon platforms really come through first? Or are, are you seeing commitment for mainstream cars to make that transition soon as well? Fantastic question. And one of the products that we're going, we're also going to announce a new product today, but one of the products we're going to announce today is going to speak to that. One, one thing about the digital chassis uh, solution, the Snapdragon digital chassis for the, for the automotive industry is it's truly a platform, and we take our DNA from what we have done in the mobile industry, and we can scale that up and down. For example, when you look of the announcement we made in the past with Stellantis, they said across all brands, across all tiers. 
we believe we can bring uh, assisted driving even to entry-level cars. And I think that's the transformation that we can do multi-tier, multi-generation uh, with our platform. And uh, the product announcement today is going to really show how we're going to scale technology to every car. Are the automakers, the OEMs, talking about software upgradable strategies where you know, customers can turn things on in cars over time? Because you see that certainly with phones, right? You know, new capabilities, new app comes out, you're able to download that. It seems like with cars, you tend to change them over, at least some people do, less often than phones. But hey, if you get the option to turn something on maybe as a service over time, that could be good for the revenue stream and good for affordability. Look, it's that and much more. One thing that is uh, happening, and we're going to talk about today about the car of the future. Just step back and look, for example, of all of those screens that you have in the car right now, and they, all those screens, they have an incredible amount of processing power, and they're connected to the cloud. First thing you're going to see change. The car company didn't have a direct relationship with the car owner. Most of the relationship was in the dealers, but now you have the ability to interact with your customer. You can sell him features, you can sell him upgrades, you can personalize the experience. At the same time, the car becomes a hub for content distribution. Any, any console is gonna be in the car, especially because of streaming of gaming with 5G, uh, deliver of content, and then uh, you can run an office from a car. If you look at what's happening, for example, a lot of small business, own business, now you're gonna have all the tools for productivity. It's an incredible transformation. All right, just tell them not to make seat warmers a service. Like, that should be standard at a certain level. Like, you know, you warm this, don't, don't charge for it month I month, agree right? with that. <laughs> Cristiano, thank you. Thank you so much. Cristiano Amandas, CEO of Qualcomm. We're going to get that news later today. Uh, guys, back to you. Great stuff, John. Uh, that's our John Fort. NASDAQ, meantime, closing in on its fifth down week in six. Is now the time to start buying the dip, or could things fall apart even further? We're going to discuss with Fundstrat's Tom Lee in a moment. Dow hanging on to 30K by 63 points. Let's turn back to the market now with the Dow down by over 100 points. Major averages, they are all moving lower after the Fed's rate hike. NASDAQ down as much as 150 points, though, off of those lows now. And given the Fed's hawkish forecasts, many expecting more pain ahead for growth. Joining us now, Fundstrat Global Advisors Managing Partner, CNBC contributor Tom Lee. Tom, good morning. Thanks for being with us. Uh, markets are down today, and we're more than 1,000 points from your target made back in August of 4,800 on the S&P by year end. Have you turned more cautious or scaled that back or pushed it out? Uh, well, it's certainly a lot further away than it was in August. Um, you know, in the last couple of weeks, uh, I think the market is trying to discount what is a much more hawkish and I think more forceful Fed path to try to contain inflation, you know, one where they're losing a little bit of patience. But the reason I I, I still think we, we still want to think about stocks doing pretty well in the year end is that it's ultimately going to be coming down to the path of inflation. And if inflation starts to improve sharply, which a lot of leading indicators show that, I think markets are going to start to look at the Fed's current path as sufficient to actually contain inflation, and I think that's going to allow risk assets to rally. So I, I would say the bar is definitely higher, and it's been a really very tough few weeks, especially post-Jackson Hole, mm -hmm. but I, I rule out the, the, the probability that stocks rally pretty strongly into your rent. 
So if they do rally, if the S&P gets back to 4,800, even next year at some point, what is the valuation behind that call, particularly for tech, which makes up so much of the broader market? How are you valuing that sector? Um, does it ever come back to those 2021 peaks? Uh, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's interesting timing that you're asking that question. I just got off the phone with a tech CEO. And one of the things that, that, does, uh, that investors need to keep in mind is tech companies really got cautious early this year because there was a lot of signaling about monetary tightening and the risks of inflation. So companies aren't necessarily tripping over their skis right now. But more importantly, when, when tech companies are looking at their OPEX and the potential for a soft landing or even a recession, you know, recessionary business conditions, they've got a lot of room to cut costs. So I, I think we may be surprised by the profit margin expansion of tech companies, even in a tougher revenue environment. So that means that there could be earnings surprise on tech. So uh, I think there's a reason why earnings revisions haven't dropped as much as they should have done by the end of this quarter, right? We're in like confession, in the confession period now for earnings. And I think part of that is that companies really were pretty good at managing costs because of the signaling of, of the weakening economy. It's such an important point, Tom. Uh, as you're talking, I was reading this Bernstein note on Meta, and they say the reality is the company has a lot of room to preserve earnings power via sizable OPEX cuts and protect the, the EPS floor that the bulls are counting on. Would you argue that Meta is, um, is indicative of, of broad and in aggregate corporate America's power to cut costs? Uh, yes, and especially um, when you think about the environment, Carl, over the last 10 years, companies had a decent top line environment in a weak inflation environment. So they had not a lot of nominal growth, but they were focused on growth. Now that we've got better nominal growth and companies focused away from top line, that is giving them ample opportunity to really tackle OPEX, as you're pointing out. And ironically, or sort of maybe in, in favor of the Fed, in tech, a lot of the OPEX is going to be labor. So I think you're going to see job mm -hmm. cuts coming in tech, and that's really yeah. going to help preserve earnings power. But that actually works towards the Fed's goal of trying to manage right. a very tight labor market. Yeah, we certainly already have seen some of those cuts. Tom, while we have you, I just want to get your view on Bitcoin. Um, the link between Bitcoin and equities, particularly tech stocks, has been growing closer once again. That comes amid that more uncertain backdrop inflation. And the Ether merge, which was billed as one of the most important events in crypto's history. Um, how do you explain that? Are you still as bullish on Bitcoin as you have been? Uh, yes. I mean, I think one you know way to really understand the link between Bitcoin and tech um, is that they're both really plays on fintech, you know, the sort of innovation around financial services and products and whether you call it DeFi or fintech. And so as, as NASDAQ's, you know, gone down and, and the risk of capital availability is down, that's why it does hurt crypto. Um, the ETH merge, I think, was pretty successful. It's going to take some time for the supply benefits to, to show up. And But I, I would say, again, I think crypto's holding up pretty well. I mean, we're talking about Markets uh, typically expecting Bitcoin to have fallen further because Nasdaq's 27%. Uh, I mean, I just think Bitcoin holding above its 2017 highs is actually quite constructive. Right. We're just looking at a chart uh, just below 19K at the moment. Tom Lee, thanks for being with us. Talk to you again soon. Still to come, FTX's Sam Bankman-Fried looking to raise another billion dollars. Is it a bullish sign for crypto or a signal that there might be cracks in the armor? We will discuss. Plus, 
Get ready for one of the biggest investment events of the year. CNBC's Delivering Alpha returns in person next week. It features economic leaders, policymakers, the world's top investors. I'll be hosting a panel in the afternoon on the next big thing. You can go to CNBCEvents.com for more details and register now. Tech Check is back in a moment. a gut check on Salesforce on this Dreamforce week, one of the top performers on the S&P today. B of A with the new note, liking what they see on the heels of that conference, where the company did reaffirm its sales targets, saying a blend of strong growth and cloud deals could make it the next GARP stock. That's growth at a reasonable price. Shares are higher today by about 2% in what hasn't been such a great tape. Uh, we did dip briefly below 30K on the Dow, although currently down only 66 points. Tech checks back after this. One of the world's biggest crypto exchanges, FTX, looking to raise more money after going on a buying spree this summer. The big question here, is it a sign of strength or a sign of weakness for the company? Kate Rooney joins us with that story, one that you broke nonetheless. Um, a flat round is the new up round, yes. right? So the fact that they got the same valuation is probably a positive. Yeah, it could be seen as a positive by a lot of people, D. Yeah, that's right, though. FTX is in talks to raise up to a billion dollars in new venture capital money. That's according to three people familiar with these discussions. According to those sources, this deal would keep the crypto company's valuation at $32 billion, which is where FTX was valued back in January after its last fundraise, known as a flat round, as you mentioned, D. And as far as this deal being any sort of sign of crypto weakness, there's really two schools of thought on this. Some see flat rounds right now as a big win in this market. You've got private Fintechs like Klarna taking money at an 85% discount. You've got shares of Coinbase down about 75% this year. And then Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies losing more than half of their value. But flat rounds, of course, not the valuation step up. Companies or private investors are used to. FTX's previous backers include SoftBank, Sequoia, a lot of other private VC investors. Sources, though, tell me this FTX deal and the terms could change in the coming weeks or months. Bottom line, though, any more money that they're raising is going to be used for more M&A. We've talked a lot about CEO Sam Bankman-Fried's role as an industry consolidator. Sources tell me that FTX is looking a lot harder at those consumer finance apps to gain more users in the U.S., not just pure play crypto companies. One crypto company, though, Voyager, this is a close one to watch. A source close to that bankruptcy process telling me that Binance and FTX are now the front runners to buy Voyager out of a bankruptcy auction. Back to you guys. Kate, I just wonder, with this Sam Bankman-Fried uh, sort of legend that, that's arising, is he a white knight or is this a Paul Bunyan tale? Because, because FTX isn't public, we don't really get to scrutinize the books. And you know, there are these leaks about you know, how he's managed to stay afloat. But these profit numbers from 2021 from him and FTX are, you know, that's a long time ago. For crypto. So I just want how much do we know about how that company is really doing and whether it's how leveraged it is and and uh, whether he's got, you know, how much money he's really got. That's a great point, John, about this being a private company. A lot of people will really want to see that S1 when eventually, you know, if and when FTX does go public. But private companies don't have the same disclosures. And we've got, you know, we've talked about some of the uh, numbers from audits of last year in Q1, but the world in crypto has completely changed. We don't know if that profitability has stayed. Sam Bickman-Fried just told us that they're roughly 
on track to do roughly the same revenue, but we don't know if the profits or the bottom line is going to look the same. They're profitable, but not to the point that they could be playing this role in the industry and spending this much money to bail companies out. So that's what I'm hearing from sources. It's going to be used for M&A. Yes, they might be profitable, but not enough to take so, on these deals. So Sam Bankman-Fried has essentially become a money manager and crypto funds can give it to him. But hold on a second. You said he's looking at consumer finance apps. Yeah. Crypto consumer finance apps or something Stocks. a lot more general. So Robinhood like a is a big one. Yeah. yeah, Robinhood is a big one that has been. I mean, both of those companies, to be fair, have denied that that's happening. But you can see them moving into other smaller uh, stock trading apps. They're moving into equities too, taking on Robinhood maybe as a competitor and just looking to grow their user base. So it's cheaper to buy users a lot of times than acquire them especially in the U.S. market. But that's really key, right? Because something that's different about SBF is that he may not be this, like, crypto fanatic as some of the other people in the space, which is maybe why he has more ease in attracting money. Uh, Kate, thank you so much for that breakdown. Speaking of retail trading, rumors of a regulatory win for Robinhood this morning. We will discuss that next, so don't go away. One more thing before we go, that's the major retail trading platforms. First, the journal says that Coinbase hired at least four Wall Street traders to attempt to use the company's own cash to trade crypto. They reportedly completed a $100 million transaction as a test and was referred to internally as a prop trading unit. Coinbase has denied any wrongdoing, claiming they never had a proprietary trading business or misled regulators. On the other side, Robinhood reportedly getting the green light for its payment for order flow business. The stock did pop higher at the open. Open, but has since lost those gains. That is one of the company's main sources of revenue, D. And uh, if the reporting is correct and that does come to pass, would be a pretty stunning reversal, at least from what we thought the SEC was going. Yeah, key there, main sources of revenue. I mean, Robinhood and Coinbase have been trying to diversify, whether that be into uh, fintech or NFTs. That hasn't happened yet. So the street, John, still remains pretty bullish on both. I mean, bearish, excuse me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we started off the show, I was reflecting on the difference between uh, business of underlying companies and their stock, which is driven by sentiment. One of my big questions about some of this fintech stuff, specifically where it comes to crypto, Carl, is to what extent some of these companies' underlying business is sentiment, right? Like, how much are people willing to trade crypto and that becomes the business? How, how long does that continue? Uh, Sam Bankman-Fried has said that part of the reason why he was bailing out these companies is that he doesn't want the whole crypto market to collapse. Um, well, it's, it's going to be an interesting few months for sure. Uh, indeed, guys, uh, especially in light of what Legacy Financial continues to say about crypto. Uh, Jamie Dimon's comments in front of the House yesterday, just the latest example. We have been in a pretty tight range here. Uh, S&P 3760 or so. Still no relief in yields, though. The two-year uh, almost to 413 today. Let's get to the judge. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.